Amen. All right, we're going to be in Zechariah 10, continuing in Zechariah. This is going to go into the beginning of the year, so you guys can continue to sit tight. Uh, if you haven't got a scripture journal yet, again, we're going to be in it for a little while, so make sure you grab one. That's a journal out on the uh, book cart in the cafe. That's our gift to you. It's got scripture on one side, a blank uh, sheet on the other for you to take notes. We just encourage you to join us in this series, the rest of it anyways. Write down questions, take notes, what stands out to you. Um, get involved in a group and grow together. If you do have questions, you can send those in to newhilloh.com slash ask. And that's where we can, uh, you can send in questions anonymously and receive a biblical response. So in Zechariah, we've, we've seen and we've talked about for months now that Zechariah was a prophet raised up by God to call God's people back to himself. That's the way the prophets work, right? God would raise someone up to speak to his people directly and to tell them, hey, you need to get on track and follow the Lord your God. Zechariah is coming after the exile from uh, the Babylonian Empire. They had 70 years of captivity. It was God's judgment on them. He had given them over to their enemy, and now he had freed them to come back and to rebuild Jerusalem from the walls to the hearts of the people to the temple. All kinds of good things. And what happened was they experienced a little bit of goodness of God. And they see it. They're excited. They're on fire. It's a revival. And then they quickly turn back to the ways of their fathers, right? They, they turn back to the sinful ways that had led them to face God's judgment and separation to begin with. And God graciously raises up this prophet, Zechariah, to say, hey, look at the foundation of the temple that's been sitting there. You laid it and now it's just laying in waste. Remember the, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Remember that and push forward, continue this work. Now, this was important to them. We may not completely understand the importance of rebuilding the temple because now we know that we are the living temple of God. We alone are not the church, but we are the temple for God has poured out his spirit to dwell inside of all of those who believe in him. But for them, it was so important. They would come into Jerusalem, those who lived far away. They would come in at the time of the feast and the Passover, and they would remember the work of God. They would give their sacrifices and be atoned for by those sacrifices. This was important. So as we look at Zechariah 10, we're going to be uh, talking about how Jesus is our shepherd and that they were pointed to the good shepherd Jesus through this prophecy. But as we look at this passage, I want us to look at three main points to turn from idolatry, to trust in God and to track with the Lord. Before we go any further, let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we approach you through your word, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you. God, I pray that everything that's happened this week, God, we would lay at the cross All our trials and our discomforts, Lord, our sin, we would lay it there at the foot of the cross, being assured of our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I pray in this time that we would draw near to you through your word and be sanctified according to it. God, may we be uh, conformed into the likeness of your son, our savior, our Lord. May we remember that we follow not the ways of man, but the will of you, our God. God, I pray that this this prophecy from chapter 10 would, would strike home with us today and that it wouldn't just be a thing of the past, but God, a hope for the future. So Lord, would you lead us in this time? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So again, turn from idolatry, trust in God and track with the Lord. First point is turn from idolatry, right? The context of this passage, right? And, and all of Zechariah really is they're coming out of the promise the Lord, uh, of the Lord delivering his people. That's the hope that they've had in, in Zechariah. Remember, your enemies push against you. They're, they're fighting you. They want to stop and thwart the will of God, but it's not going to happen. Push on, rebuild this temple. Do the things that I have commanded of you. I am the Lord, your God. And then you have there at the end of chapter nine, you actually straight into this, have this promise that the Lord is going to deliver his people. This is a very hopeful message to those who are saved and to those who are being saved. It is a hopeful message. And we come right in here to chapter 10, verse one. If you all would follow along in your Bibles with me, it says, Um, Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field for the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for their lack of a shepherd. So you, you get this. This picture of hope there at the end of the last chapter. I mean, literally verse 17 of chapter nine for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine, the young women. You have this beautiful picture of the goodness of God and what he's doing and restoring that which was broken. Those who were dead now alive in Christ Jesus. Even then the hope of the future coming of Jesus Christ. Verse one gives us the indication that they've dealt with some kind of drought and they dealt with many of them. Right. That was God's way of hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. You want to see your dependence on me? Is there food on your table? Are there crops in the field? I was talking to, to Matt uh, Atma. I didn't want to talk to you about it too hard. You know, he's saying that he planted some crops this, this summer and they didn't get anything. So it's like. What are we doing, Matt? Like, we as a church, like, do we need to figure out? Like, I'm just reading this passage and crops weren't going up because they needed, there was a wake-up call. So I don't know, um, because I didn't hear about your corn crops until today. So maybe you should have told the church sooner and they would have been beautiful, right? You, the Lord knew you were withholding some sweet corn. It's got the juice kind of thing from us. And we wanted that, that to happen. But there was something that they dealt with in the Old Testament. They would go through droughts and it was a wake-up call from God, right? Wake up, wake up. Seems as though they're dealing with that drought. And it says here in verse one, ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes storm clouds. He will give showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. A beautiful picture. God gives to the need of his people. Right. And even even you think of just general grace to those who are outside the covenant people of God. They experience this grace as well. For God provides to their need, gives them breath in their lungs, gives them food for their belly. That's what God does. God is so good. And then the contrast here in verse 2 And it's a reminder, don't fall into the sins of your fathers who turned from me and worshiped idols. For the household gods utter what, church? Nonsense. And the diviners see lies. 
They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. This indicates their previous issue of turning toward idolatry. It's utter nonsense. It speaks lies. And those who seek their wisdom, see, this is important. You may go after it and and you see maybe there's a a hopeful thing. There's a a new age religion, something that seems a little bit hopeful. And and we like new things. We like shiny things, that which is polished and, and new and you see that and we see that in the world and we see that it's, it, it seems like the world is growing with it. But the scriptures are clear that those who follow those things are given empty consolation. There's emptiness. There's nothing. There's nothing to be had. There's no substance. There's no truth. There's no fruit. There's no hope. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for the lack of a shepherd. You need the right person for the right job. You guys, I I say it a lot. I'll say like, hey, do you need help with that? Matt's heard this a lot. Hey, do you need help around the house? If so, Aubrey's available, right? And he, like everybody, it's funny, right? But it's true. There's some things that I can help with. And I know my limitations, and I don't go past those limitations unless you're teaching me how to do it. Like I, I went to, to uh, look at Nelson's uh, gym yesterday, building this rock gym, right? It's a shameless plug there. Rising up uh, rock gym, right? So you got to be a part of that. Join it when it, it happens, right? All the church gets a free month, first month, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I go there and he's up on a ladder and he's like shooting something into these frame like this frame and it's like sparking and I'm like like being careful I don't want to scare him and it like looked like a gun and I'm like I don't like if it's even if it's inhaled like just stay back and, and he gets down I'm like hey do you need like any help before I leave and I'm like please say no because like I don't know what I can help with I know my limitations right <laughs> amen amen that's right I'm just here to preach just here to preach um, so It's the same thing here. They were being led by people who were not leading according to the will and the way of God. And when you aren't being led and you're not following godly leadership, you're going to turn to idols. And then and then when someone speaks up, you've got to find the middle ground here. When someone speaks the truth of God, like Zachariah was to them, you can't hear that and be like, I don't like this anymore. Let me bounce. Because John writes and says, those people who departed from us departed because they were never really of us. God's people are to turn from idolatry. We are not to turn to household gods. They utter nonsense. Diviners will see lies and they'll tell false dreams and they give empty consolation. And if you follow those things, you will wander like a lost sheep with no shepherd. Hopeless and helpless. What does it say about idolatry in the word of God? Exodus 20 verse 3 says nothing. That was in. That's crazy. All right. So we're going to go. You shall have no gods before me. No idols before me. Says the word of the Lord. We're going to go old school. We're going to kick it back here for a second. Go to Jonah 2 verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope 
of steadfast love. So you have Exodus that says, don't have any God before me, right? Don't do it. Not in this instance, you can put this before me. Nothing, no idol, nothing. Not a thing, not a person. Nothing. And then Jonah, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, when they turned to idols, what did God do? He separated them from the land that he had promised his people. He had cast them into judgment. There's a hopeful story of redemption to be had. But if we don't hear this message first, then that redemption has lost its sweetness. So understand that those who turn to idols will not taste the goodness of God. Because an idol is something we've placed before God. Idolatry, church, is a sin. It's an egregious one at that. It is spiritual adultery. We know that a man and a woman should not cheat on each other. Amen? We get that. And then we, we seem to think that it's okay to have idols before God when really it's cheating on God. It's just as, if not more filthy, because the uh, marital covenant is a picture of the gospel. Right. We in our marriages depict the gospel. We show the world the gospel by our covenant commitment to one another. So then when we aren't faithful to God, we're showing people our lack of faith in God who is covenanted with us. Turn from idolatry. And then God's angry because of this. Look at verse three. It says, my anger is hot. Listen to this, though, against the shepherds. And I will punish the what church? Leaders, For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses. God is angry with the leaders because of this. See, the calling has always been high on those who lead God's people. The calling remains highest to the delivery of God's word. Delivering God's word. This is, this is a scary place to be. Behind the pulpit, delivering the word of God, being entrusted and called and equipped by God and our weakness, he's showing his strength. But it is a scary place when you understand the reality of what it means to lead people astray. They had failed. The leaders of the past had failed. The shepherds had failed, letting people turn to idols before God and turn to faithlessness before the faithful and almighty what does Matthew 18, verse 6 say about leaders? Also blank. I got it. I went ahead and pulled it up. I didn't trust myself with this one. So it says, but whoever, uh, verses 5 and 6 says this in Matthew 18. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great Millstone fastened around his neck to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, that's crazy imagery, right? Like we start to think about that. You would be better off 
If you're going to cause a little one to sin, cause a brother and sister in Christ to sin, you're pushing them away from the holiness of God to the unholy ways of the world. If we were to push them, Jesus himself says we would be better to have a millstone fastened around our neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea than to do that. I mean, the reality cannot be missed there. Delivering God's word is an important calling. And those who enter into it should do so with caution. Those who get up to preach every week do so with caution. Realize that our words are not of our own and not supposed to be, but it's supposed to be the grace of God extended to the people of God and those far from God. It says, turn from idolatry for the Lord is strengthening and leading his people. You see that in in verses four through five. He's not just mad, right? He says um, he's going to make his people strong. From him, from Judah, shall come the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg, right? Like that's showing like raw strength. He's leading his people. They shall be mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. When you look at, at the work of God, you are led to trust in God. Point number two. They're, they're focused here in verses four and five of, of what God's going to do and the works of God. And when you see that, you can look beyond Zechariah, before Zechariah, and see that God had done this over and over and over and is going to continue to do it for his people. He's going to lead the way. He's going to strengthen them. He's going to give them every need that they need. He's going to meet all of their needs. And he's going to display his power through his people. And we should be led into a place of trust, that we trust God. We we know what God is doing. Consider the works of God. Who else shall we trust? Malachi 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change. He doesn't change. He promises life to his people. Who else shall we trust? What else shall we trust in? God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the Alpha, the Omega. We cannot look past that. And when we look at it head on, we say, I trust you, God. When we look at our week this past week and how we were not turning to God, we were turning away from God. We can see the faithfulness of God for he is faithful even when we are faithless. Look at all that he has done. We trust him. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his grace. We trust in his mercy. We trust in his plan. And we hope for his second coming. Verse six. Remember, trust in God. This encouragement given to them. It says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Not only, does God, not only is God merciful and gracious in welcoming back the prodigal son, he pursues that son. Look in, in verse 6. I will strengthen, I will save, 
I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. We read about the prodigal son and the son comes back and the father's excited. He's so happy to have his son back despite all the disobedience and the leaving in the first place. And we think how beautiful that picture is. But what about the mighty God who's not just waiting, hoping for a people to come to him, but he's pursuing them and their unrighteousness to make them righteous. Man, God is so good when we look at the depth of our depravity, the sin in our heart, and think, God loves me even still. Trust in him. Man, he's faithful. It, it, it's so easy to like, just point fingers at Israel, right? Because they were like a nation. But do we realize that we are a nation? That we've been adopted and grafted into the promises of those before us? That there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave. We, we are his. We are his possession. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You think about his faithfulness, even in our faithlessness. Where can we go but to a place of trust? It says, I will bring them back because God is faithful. I mean, tell me, church, what, what wins you all over more? Now think about this in, in your, your head and your heart. What wins you over more personally? Being hit when you're wrong or being loved despite your wrong. Now, because I can tell you in my marriage, when my wife does something kind for me, when I've been a complete jerk, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Now, when I've been a jerk and she's a jerk back, it just leads to, to more unrighteousness, right? Like, and I'm not saying that she doesn't have the right to do that, but, but God had the right to just cast us all to the pits of hell. But he extended grace. He came into our depraved state and died for our souls. I mean, there is a time and a place to be hit when you're being wrong, right? When you're doing wrong, like there's times, just believe me, I told you all what I prefer, but there's times where you all are going to need to hit me when I'm wrong, right? Just the word says this. We need that sometimes. But remember the graciousness and the goodness of God. And he's had, he has compassion on his people. Compassion on us. That even when we were sinning, he extended grace. 2 Timothy 2, verses, uh, verse 13. Also blank. Two thirteen says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I've been saying it, right? Even when we're faithless, he's faithful. And it's so important for us to understand that, because if we don't understand that, then we will not trust in God. Because if God was only faithful and we were faithful, then he'd just be like a human, right? We're nice to people when they're nice to us. That's easy. Actually, we're mean to people when they're nice to us sometimes because we want to have control over situations. We want to control the narrative. But God is holy and we are not apart from him. So when we understand that reality, that he's faithful, even when we're faithless, we'll trust him. We'll believe in him. We'll follow him. We'll listen. We'll hear his voice and follow. Verse number eight. It says, I whistle for them and gather them in for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before. Now this is super encouraging to them because they've just been wiped out. Just continually just getting wiped out. I mean, Israel was, was not even a thing for a while and they came back, like after Jesus, right? 70 AD, wiped out, boom. They made a comeback, crazy, 
Crazy what God does for his people and for his nation, right? Wiped out completely. It says, I whistle for them and gather them in. They hear the call of the Lord and they answer. I remember as a, as, as a child, my, my parents would hang out with their friends like several nights a week. And uh, the one family had a pool in the summer. We just hang out there all day long, right? Run around the neighborhood. The elementary school was just like a cut through between the houses. We jumped a lot of fences uh, back in, in West Virginia, where I'm from. Um, I don't even know why people had fences there. Dogs were running around. It was a lot like my wife's description of Bolivia, um, but with a lot less teeth, right? And that's just, we would just hang out. We'd run around. And I remember we'd go over to the elementary school and there was always this distinct whistle, right? That we would hear. And we knew it meant to come back. It was my dad's friend, Reed. And he would just, this whistle was just ear piercing if you were next to him, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to whistle the kids in. Just, it was so loud. Now, anybody else could have whistled. And we'd have been like, that's not Reed. When Reed whistled, we knew, hey, get back. You could be in the middle of a kickball game, a baseball game. You're fighting, you know, like having fun, wrestling. You're 10 blocks away where you're not supposed to be. You would hear that and know, get home. That's how God is with his people. He calls and they know his voice. They know that whistle. We church should know the voice of God. Are we listening? Are we following the voice of the Lord? Because that's what he's doing. He's, he's calling his people. He's whistling them. And he says in verse nine, though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall Remember me and with their children, they shall live and return. I will bring home, bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon. So there is no room for them. God, God acknowledges that he's scattered them, right? But even though he's scattered them, they will not even remember. They shall remember him and his faithfulness. Though I scattered them, yet they be far away from me. They'll remember me. And they'll return. I will bring them back. Now, this is a beautiful picture of um, their time in Egypt. Not a good time. It wasn't a vacation. It's 400 years of separation from God. Gather them from Assyria. We're talking about the exile that they just experienced. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there's no room. And he shall pass through the sea of troubles, right? This is imagery of the Red Sea being split. And, and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And God is faithful and he has scattered them, but now he is gathering them. He's bringing them back. He's reminding them to trust in him, for he has already done and will continue to do for his people as he wills. Though they are far, they remember. Though they are in temporal despair, they trust in the providence of God. Do we trust in the providence of God and our despair? And if we do, we will track with the Lord. Point number three, if we truly trust in God, if we believe in his promises, if we claim to be covenant people, if we claim the name of Jesus over all of our problems in life, then we ought to track with him. We ought to follow him, walk in his name. You see, we cannot claim Christ as Lord over our life and be following idols. We cannot be claiming Christ as Lord over our life 
and not trusting in him. If we understand that God is never changing, he's immutable. Then who else are we to trust? If we truly grasp that, then we would not forsake him. That doesn't mean you won't wrestle with him. What I'm saying is you're not going to leave him behind. He's your Lord. He's not just your friend. He's your Lord. The Lord, your God. Walk with him. Walk in his name. Follow the Lord. Church, he is the good shepherd. The issue here is that they didn't have a shepherd. The leaders had led them to despair. They were leading them to destruction. Verse three, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. And down to verse 12, I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Who else are we to follow? Who are we going to follow? You see, church, we should not trust or follow a leader who's following anything other than the Lord and his word and the Lord's direction. See, a pastor who's following preference is not a pastor. It's a wolf. We are not to do that. We are not to follow those people. To do so, it's, it's in vain and its end is destruction. And we are to pray for those who follow them that they may find out sooner than later. And we point them not to emptiness, but to holiness in the good shepherd, Jesus. Consider uh, this passage again, what we just went over. Verse one, ask rain from the Lord and the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. You see this, this idea of rain, right? Producing up crops and caring for the need of the people. And then you consider um, John chapter four, verse 10 with the woman at the well. And you see this, Jesus says to her, he says, he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saving you or saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So they had their their focus on the crops of this earth and the physical and the temporal things. And Jesus came to be that living well for those to never thirst again spiritually. Supplying our every need. And then you think about calling his people, hearing the voice right? he says, I'll whistle and they will come to me. John 10 verses 11 through 17 says this. This is from Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down that I might take it up again. See, Jesus is providing and protecting, providing for and protecting his people. He calls and they listen. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. Church, we need to heed to the voice of the Lord. We need to heed to the word of the Lord, the scriptures. So the question for us today is, is, are we worshiping God or are we worshiping an idol? Are we claiming God, Jesus, is, is God over our life while never trusting the process? Do we believe that Jesus is actively, not, not only actively saving his people, but sanctifying his people? That there's this process that it hurts a little bit. That we are being changed from the ways of this world and being made into the likeness of God, our Savior, Jesus. Do we understand that? Do we believe it? Because what we turn to in in a moment of trial or affliction will show people where our trust and allegiance really is. Now, I'm not telling you that when you fall or you fail that you've lost your salvation. That's not what I mean. What I mean is think back to this past week and the weeks and maybe even today where you didn't trust Jesus and you showed it through your actions. And think, how can I do better next time? And the only way to do that is put your eyes on the cross. Remember that he is faithful even when we are faithless. Remember that sweetness of the grace that saved us from the depravity that we were born into. Remembering that will turn you from your idolatry, will lead you to trust God and to obedience and tracking, following, walking in the name of Jesus. You know another way to do that? This. Plug into group. Do life together. Open the Bible together. Talk about the difficult things. You know how many things are so difficult in here to understand, right? It's difficult, but it can be discerned. It is spiritually discerned. So those with the Spirit, we gather in the name of Jesus. We read, we study, we pray for one another, we care for one another, and we know that God is sanctifying us according to His purpose and His will. And to Him be the glory. Now, if there's anybody here that that doesn't know that or doesn't have that hope, now would be the time to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Lord. Because you may turn to all these these things that the world has to offer, but they will lead you to destruction. And that's not because, hey, I've I've found the magic potion and I've got it all figured out. No, it's because Christ saved me from that depth of sin that I was in and could not get out of. He extended his hand of grace and pulled me out of that pit to give me life. And now with this life I breathe, I use to glorify him and to call people to himself. We are not a perfect people. But we are a covenant people saved by his grace and being used for his purpose. So turn to him. He is the good shepherd. The ways of the world will lead you to nothing. And as believers, what what are we turning to? 
think this week. If, if, when something comes up, do we turn to blog posts or the holy word of the Lord? If we're looking for some wisdom, do we turn on a, a podcast, the new episode of the, the coolest podcast we can think of, right? Or do we turn to the word of the Lord? Now, those things are good, but they're only supplemental. They cannot ever surpass the wisdom of God and his word. God is so good and he's faithful even when we are faithless. Church, let's stand and sing of his faithfulness this morning. And as his, as his people, let us remember this week as we go out to, to proclaim the goodness of God over all of creation and to call people to himself. And church, I, I pray that you all have safe travels this week with Thanksgiving coming up if you all are traveling and uh, I'm praying for warmer weather too. So if you all would join me in that. Um, but let's just use this week to be thankful and to remember what God has done even in our faithlessness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for showing your love and being faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, I pray that we would turn to you. We would turn away from idolatry. Anything that's gotten in the way, God, that we've placed in the way of you, our Lord, I pray that we would get rid of it. Pray that we would trust you in all things. Pray that we would trust this process. We would trust you when trial comes, when tribulation hits. God, that we would turn to you and your word. And God, we as a community, a covenant community, we together collectively would build one another up, edify one another, and glorify the name of Jesus. God, would you be with us this week as we're traveling, people are sick. God, would you just, just care for your bride? We know that you are and we trust you. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.